Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Eagle Naz Church Podcast. My name is Trevor, and I'm one of the pastors here at Eagle Naz. We hope that the next 30 minutes helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and that you will see how God wants to move in your life. Thanks for listening. Some risks are worth taking and some aren't. But today, we're going we're gonna to learn that some risks are not worth taking, but this one is. This one is, the one we're talking about today. Uh, Jesus is uh, at Capernaum. Uh, the crowds are coming in. There's, there's so many people that the, the door is uh, covered with layers of people, so no entrance there. And uh, there's, uh, there's a big debate going on. Do we follow Jesus? Do we not follow Jesus? There's some religious people in the, the room that are angry at Jesus because he doesn't play by the rules. And these four guys, they decide that they're going to take their handicapped friend who's probably been that way as long as they can remember, and they're going to, to attempt to bring him to Jesus. So today we get to see some risks are not worth taking, but, but this one that we talk about today is. So let's stand on our feet as we look at the passage. If you've got your Bible with you today, I invite you to go to Mark chapter 2. Just be looking at the first few verses to start out here. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they went home and said, Ah, oh, we tried. Is that how it ends? Nah. Not how the word ends. It says, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Whoa. <laughs> Some risks aren't worth taking. But this one is. Amen? Amen. Yeah, you may be seated. So uh, the scripture, I, I'm thinking as I read this, if I'm one of those four guys, uh, when I look at the situation and there's a whole crowd around the house, uh, around Jesus' house, and I look at it, I go, yeah, I tried. Time to go home. Um, I don't think it's going to work today. Bad time to get somebody to Jesus. Maybe we'll do this another day. Not worth the risk. Um, you know, it could cost a lot of money to repair that roof. They're going to sue me. My reputation is on the line. Not worth it. I mean, this sharing Jesus thing, it could really get out of hand. Uh, he might fall. I might fall. He might die. We might die. Let's just all go home. Anybody think you got an argument about why that doesn't make any sense at all? And yet something happens in these guys' lives uh, where they decide it's worth the risk. And, and the scripture tells us as we look at it, that in verse 4, it tells us that something drove these guys. These, these uh, friends believed that the results of their effort would produce a reward worthy of the risk. Amen. If you had a, a friend, 
family member, even somebody that worked at Albertsons that you'd met, and they came to you and said, hey, um, my car needs a jump start. Would you jump it? You got jumper cables? Would you jump? Anybody with me? Would you jump their car? Okay, so like we are here today. Okay, and let's say that uh, somebody came to you and they knocked on the door and said, we just need a little food. Uh, it's the holidays and we're out. Would you share your turkey with them? You got enough turkey. Would you share it? You would especially share your cranberry sauce. And everybody said amen. If somebody came to you and you knew that it wasn't going to be misused and they said, hey, would you give me a little bit of financial support? I'm, in a, I'm going through a, a lean stretch. Would you help them? Yes. In all those cases, we'd say there's a need. I have the opportunity to meet the need. So when the need and the opportunity come together, I'm, I'm bound ethically. I'm going to help them. And, and that's what happened. But sometimes when it comes to sharing our faith, there's a great need. But I just got to ask you, anybody here know somebody that never met Jesus or understood how great he is in your life? Anybody know somebody like that? Would it make a difference... If you introduce Jesus to them, would it change their life in somebody, some way? Anybody think it would make a difference? Yeah. Then it's a, it's a risk worthy of taking. Amen? Amen. And so these guys, uh, they actually, uh, it says, and when they couldn't get near because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And it says these amazing things start happening. Jesus is in a debate at the time, and the scripture says, and Jesus was preaching the word. Oh, I love this part. Jesus is preaching. Jesus is preaching. Like, if they had said no, they're going to miss Jesus preaching. That's better than Billy Graham. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus is preaching, and it says the word. He's preaching the logos. He's preaching about himself. He's talking about the main thing, that when they get there, and he gets, Jesus gets in a debate, he stops talking for a moment about what he was talking about, and he interfaces with the religious leaders who don't think that Jesus is relevant. They don't think he has the answers, and he begins to interface with them, and, and they say, hey, what do you think you're doing here? Because Jesus has just said, be healed, rise up. Who do you think you are? He says, uh, let me tell you something. He also says this. He says, your sins are forgiven. That's who our Jesus is. Amen. He is the forgiver of sins. And Jesus says to them, get this. You ask me about forgiveness of sins and why I'm having this guy rise up. He says, which is easier, to forgive sins or to rise up and walk? Well, obviously, to rise up and walk. There's all kinds of healers in the world. And he says, but, but it's who can forgive sin but God alone? And Jesus says, I'm telling you that so that you know that I'm the one who can forgive sins. Get up and walk. And the kid gets up and walks and carries his bed out of that place. And, and, and this amazing moment happens where it says, and they glorified God because they had never seen anything like that before. I got a question. What if they hadn't bothered? What if they hadn't taken the risk? This guy who had never walked before that we know of, he stands up and he takes his bed. And, and you know what? They thought he was cursed. They had this belief that if, if you didn't have enough money or if you didn't have good looks 
or if you didn't have health, that God was against you and you were cursed. We would never ever preach this society of if you have enough, if, if God is with you, you'll have tons of money and health and wealth and it all. We would never do that, would we? Okay, I just kind of slid something in there. Here's what happens. He gets up and he takes his mat and he goes out among them. For the very first time in his life, he, he gets to see the town. For the very first time in his life, the world opens up to him. For the very first time in his life, he gets to see people. For the first time in his life, he gets to be accepted. Why? Because they brought him to Jesus. It changed his entire outlook in life because they said yes to Jesus' call. What happened to their arguments? You know, it's going to ruin your reputation. I think their reputation went up. It's not going to go well for you. I think it went well for them. You know what? It's going to be a problem. They're going to sue you. Where's the lawsuit? Uh, you know what? You shouldn't do this. You're going to have to pay for the roof. Well worth it. When we say yes to Jesus' call to share him with the world, it becomes well worth any risk that we take. It says, and they glorified God, and he glorified God. He went out among them, and, and all of a sudden, that word to glorify God means to lift up God's name in the community. That when they shared Jesus, when they said what Jesus had done in their life, the, the, the belief, the understanding of who God is in our lives just went way up in the world. When we share who God is, when we do parking lot barbecues, and we're scared to death, and when we take the risk, and when we go out, all of a sudden say, I've never seen anything like this before. Jeff, I love your creativity. I, I don't know what's gonna happen in the end, but it's gonna be good. Because when we obey God, we start on an adventure. And when we say yes to God, it lifts up the name of Jesus. And when we lift up the name of Jesus, good things begin to happen in our lives for the kingdom. Uh, as I think about this passage, I, I was thinking about uh, the, the, the friend of mine named Jim Reimer, who his, his dad was my mentor. And, and so Jim and I get together. Every time he comes in town from Portugal, we just hang out. And I was asking Jim, because Jim, um, he, he went into ministry, and he didn't want to. He was kind of a rebellious kid, but God got a hold of his heart. And then God called him to be a, a missionary. He was terrified of that prospect, but he went anyway, and then he started ministering, and he planted churches and more churches and wrote books and, and did all this kind of stuff for the kingdom. And, and when he got to Portugal and he was ministering, he said every time that he said that he was an American, it, it created a closed door. He couldn't travel. He couldn't share, whatever, somehow. And he said, so, Tim, I changed my citizenship. This guy who loves America changed his citizenship so that he could share Jesus. People, sometimes we don't want to change our schedule. He changed his citizenship. That he said, it's so important that I will do whatever it takes to share Jesus with my world. I asked him, I said, what's the greatest risk you ever took? And I kind of thought he was on a rabbit trail, honestly. Because he said, uh, Tim, the, the farther we get from home, the easier it is to share Jesus. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, go to Kenya, love Kenya, it's amazing, or go to... Uh, Portugal or Brazil or go wherever. 
it's so easy. You just pray ahead and you go with the team and you're all ready and then you share Jesus and if they reject you, it's on them. He said, you go right next door. You share with somebody you work with every day or you share with a family member or a friend that you've been talking to and you want to tell them about Jesus. What do you do? You take it all personal. He said, I'd like to change that in, in the way we see the world that, that we don't have to take it personal when we're rejected by someone simply because they don't accept our message. Because we share all kinds of things. Anybody get really hurt, like brokenhearted, if they don't love your team? I mean, I know Seahawks are best. Right? And some of you booed me. Like, oh, well, then. And we just go, come on. And we have fun and we enjoy the dialogue. Why? Because we don't take it personal. Because we realize it doesn't affect who we are and who we're a fan of because we're secure in who we are. I would just challenge us as we think about this that, that it's worth taking the risk. It says uh, in Mark 2, 2 through 5, this, this interesting comment. It says, uh, let me look at it with you again in the Word. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even at, at the door. By the way, did you notice something? Love does. Love makes a way. Love makes its own door. Did you catch that? Love makes its own door. Like I want to get, come hell or high water, I'm going to... Anybody feel that way about your kids? Come hell or high water, I'm going to get them to the doctor. I'm going to take care of their temperature. I'm going to do what it takes. It's like that with love. But, but look at this. It says, uh, and he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men, and they could not get near him because of the crowd, and they removed the roof above him. And when they made, had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, your sins are forgiven. Did you catch this? The guy couldn't do anything alone. But when they got involved, we don't know who they are, but their effort is still impacting the world all the ways to the shores of eternity because they said, we're going to get this guy to Jesus. And when they did, it changed his life dramatically forever because they got involved. There were four of them. There's a thousand of us. Come on. There's four of them. There's a thousand of us. There's four of them. There's a thousand of us. The summer I was on sabbatical, you guys blessed Melody and I so much, letting us get a summer of rest. And during that sabbatical, it was such a blessing. And I kept asking God, what's next for us? What do you want to pour into my heart? What's the one thing that would be important for this season for me to take in? Because I'm, I'm here to rest and renew and restore and, and have you breathe vision into me, Jesus. And my son-in-law sent me a podcast about the life of Yvonne Chouinard. Anybody know who that is? That's okay, I didn't either. He's the founder of Patagonia. And, and, and so he, he started out building tin roofs for chicken coops and doing manual labor, and he liked mountain climbing as a side hobby. And Yvonne noticed that in Europe, everybody just left their spikes in the mountain for mountain climbing, and he said, well, in America, I think we should be 
more careful about leaving the landscape like we found it, and so we're gonna make spikes that you can reuse, and the ones in Europe were 15 cents, and he sold, sold them for $1.15. How's his business sound right now? It took off like wildfire, because something in his heart was worth doing, and so he shared it before he knew it. He had 85% of the entire U.S. market in his, in his uh, system of ordering the spikes, and so he expanded it to other things, and it, it blew up. It became an amazing business, and, and he had a whole model. And he said this. This is, what, this is a long way to get to the story. Preachers do that sometimes. He says um, the one thing he wanted to be known out of that for leaders, he said, be who you are. Be true to who you are, because there's only one you. And I thought, what is it that makes us special at Eagle Nest? Our number one value is relationships. We're going to love people into a growing relationship and send that love beyond our walls. Anybody with me? And I began to think, what would happen if, if we at Eagle Nest, if the one thing was we just love people really well? And the message just came as, you know, I didn't hear an audible voice, but as, as much as I could say in my heart, it was just love people well. Just love people well. Right, Karen? Just love people well. I could name each of you, but it would embarrass you, so I won't do that. Love people well. And I thought, if we did that, if we just did that one thing, if we love people well, and invited them to know Jesus, it could start a movement, it could shape a culture, it could change our city, it could change our world. And, and I just happen to believe that we're called to do that. I don't think it's just a, a, a series that we're in, I think, it's a, I think it's a season that we're called to embrace. I don't think it's by accident, Eagle Nazarene, that we are placed in Eagle, Idaho right now with 20 plus acres in the middle of the fastest growing metro area in the United States, please. Do you agree with me? Do you think that we could make a difference if we said we're going to live the invitational life? That it could change our world? I think it can and it will and it must because we love Jesus. That means amen. <laughs> and so they decided to love Jesus that way. They decided to take a risk. They decided to do what other people were afraid to do and it made all the difference in the world. I, I was thinking about this passage and, and I was going, then, then I think there must be some biblical evidence for simple ways that we could share our faith. So I want to share with you right now seven simple ways to share our faith that are found in the Bible. You ready? You got notes, anybody? Like your note card? Here we go. It's going to be a little fast. But first of all, uh, number one, be loving and direct. Acts chapter tells, uh, two tells us that Peter was was uh, sharing and the Holy Spirit came on him and he was very direct. He said, hey guys, I want you to know this is what's wrong. You crucified Jesus and it wasn't good and you need to ask forgiveness and I want you to seek forgiveness because Jesus is the best thing that happened since sliced bread and 3,000 people came to Jesus that day. I think Peter was completely shocked at the results and the Spirit went before him. I think it was bold like parking lot barbecue that Jeff did. Imagine what a thousand people with par parking lot barbecue ministry would do to this community. And so he was uh, loving and direct. Secondly, uh, the second way the Bible helps us to understand that we can share our faith is to share our story. First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ as Lord, as holy. So the first prerequisite is that if we're going to share Jesus, we have to give people a Jesus that they would want to hear from. 
that we need to live a life that's powerful and that's pure and that Jesus has touched us. Eagle Nazarene, we can be a people that are changed and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. His spirit can come in us and he can make us new and he can love us and shape us and we can have a life that people look at our lives and say, wow, I want what you have. Why is it that you bring your barbecue to the parking lot and barbecue hot dogs and stuff for no reason at all? Well, there is a reason. Because Jesus shines through you. And so it says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that is in you. And do it with gentleness and respect. It's a share the hope that, has, it ha that you have in you. Now, now that necessitates the fact that if somebody comes to us and says, hey, what's your hope? It means that they have enough relationship that they've bumped into us enough that they've seen that there's something different about our lives, that we set Jesus apart as Lord, and that, that somehow he's given us hope that the world doesn't have. And hope shines brightest in the darkness, so it doesn't make sense, but why is it that you act that way, that you live that way, that there's something about you that is different? What an incredible compliment if Jesus would use each of us in such a way that we bump into somebody and without even knowing it, we bump into them and Jesus rubs off. And that's not just a, a, a pipe dream, that's a real possibility in the kingdom of God. And so uh, we invite people, uh, we share our story, and thirdly, we invite them to church. Did you know that's in the Bible? I love the way the story reads in John chapter four where this lady gets transformed by Jesus and she goes into town and she just starts talking about Jesus. She was probably the town hooker. And she's just completely radically changed by Jesus and where she wouldn't show her face in town. All the guys she slept with because they weren't known. But she was known for how bad she was. And when Jesus got a hold of her, she lost inhibition about shame and brokenness and trouble because God so revolutionized her insides that her outsides showed it. And she went into town and she invited everybody. And the whole town comes to see who this Jesus is. Hallelujah. Invite him to church. We, we have so many awesome things going on. We've got a baptism coming up soon where a lady's getting baptized uh, next week, and she said, I invited my family, and there's 25 showing up. I love her invitational life kind of spirit. We have <coughs> Christmas Eve coming up, and we added another service because there's so many folks that we knew we wouldn't have enough room, so we made three services, and you, you got to get tickets. Now, don't get scared. You just get a ticket that tells us which of the three you're coming to, and they're color-coded. That way, we know that we have room for everybody. And then at Easter, we, we have a whole weekend that you're going to want to invite all your friends are to. And, and then we have camps in the summer that you get to invite your friends to. And God can change lives by simply inviting. Did you know that 85% of people, if you just ask them, they will come to church to get you off their back? <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And then they'll find out that it's a wonderful place and that they want to stay and that Jesus is there. Uh, the, the fourth thing that we do is join or invite people to our life group. Uh, the scripture says in Acts 20, 20 that they, <coughs> they, met to, they met house to house. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. I would love to have a church that just the life groups 
were such a blessing that, that so many people were invited to life groups. The life groups exceeded the population of Sunday morning worship because it would show the whole church was in community together. That doesn't mean that I want you to quit coming on Sunday morning to go to life group. It means I want more of you to go to life group. Because why? Because when we get in community together, it begins to change people and the way they interrelate and they find out that God loves them in community together. The next thing we can do, the fifth thing, is listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. That still small voice, it's recorded in, in Acts chapter 8 that Philip was going along with his normal routine and the Spirit said to him, go to that lonely road. And he's like, what? What? And so he goes there, and there's a man from Ethiopia who happens to be driving a chariot, who happens to be parked on the side of the road, who happens to be reading from the book of Isaiah, who doesn't have a clue what it's talking about. And the Spirit says, run to him. And Peter put on his sprinting shoes, and he ran right to him. And he listened to what was being going on in the moment, and he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And Peter, the scripture says, began from that very scripture and described to him who Jesus was from the book of Isaiah. Here's the, here's the good news, folks. When we take a risk and we share Jesus with those around us, <coughs> Jesus goes ahead of us by his Holy Spirit, and he prompts us to do parking lot barbecues where we roast up hot dogs and we get in spiritual conversations. So we listen to the Holy Spirit, and we're going to get it wrong sometimes. And we're going to get embarrassed sometimes, and we're not going to do it right sometimes. Anybody, when you were two years old, did your parents say, stop walking, you messed up? <laughs> no. It takes time to learn, and we learn, and we grow, and we become sensitive to the Spirit's voice, and we listen to his prompting. And then, number six, we live a life that attracts others to Jesus. I discussed that a little bit, but in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Barnabas were arrested for sharing Jesus. They were literally taken to jail for sharing their faith. I wouldn't say that it's not risky and it doesn't have some pain to it. They were beaten. They were, they were uh, stripped naked. I mean, it was a hard situation. And at midnight, uh, they started singing the blues. Well, they didn't really sing the blues. That was a bad attempt at humor. I'm sorry. <laughs> they began singing and praising to Jesus. Why? Because what was in them was praise and singing and prayer to Jesus. And they began to pray and to praise and sing. And the prison couldn't hold their praise. Why? Because Jesus was real and, and inside them. And it just busted out. And one of the ways we with the love Jesus has in us. Submitted and ready. with, And then the next thing, seven, ask God for opportunities to minister. I asked myself, what would have happened? If those four guys that said, yeah, you know what, we can't, we can't touch this guy, he's unclean. You know what, we can't talk to this guy, he's cursed by God. No, nah, we can't bring him to Jesus, it won't It would have changed everything. I went to a, a ministry event where Tim Tebow was the speaker this last week. Tim started out talking about how when he was in the Philippines, how an experience shaped his life. I was there in 1981 in the Philippines, so I really perked up quickly because I was walking into a jungle area and a man took off a pack of, of, of wood about this big. He was 100 years old. He took off a pack and just threw it on the ground and he threw his arms around me and said, thank you, Joe. 
And Joe represented the men who had come and saved his village and saved his life. And the gratitude so spilled over his heart that he couldn't help but just throw his arms around me. And it had been 40 years. And Tim Tebow had the same kind of experience where Americans were so honored at the time that Tim D. Tebow came to the Philippines that he hiked five miles in and went to a remote area and they'd never had since the war an American visitor. He said when he spoke to the school, all the children, the adults, he, he gave Jesus in a message and everybody came. Except for he noticed three guys in the back that just wandered off. And he was so bothered by it, checked by the Holy Spirit that he... He left the, the large group of people and he looked around the school, didn't find them, and he saw a lonely hut on the corner of town. And he headed toward the hut and he noticed that one of the boys that had left him from the crowd actually started moving toward him and they met and he took, his, took Tim's two fingers because his hands were so small and he just took his fingers and he led him to the hut and he pulled him down into the grass hut and Tim Tebow said, oh boy, here we go. I might die here. 15 years of age, and so he went in, and he, as his eyes adjusted to the light, he noticed that one of the three boys had feet that were literally turned backwards. And the other boy explained, the boy with the, the handicap was named Sherwin, and the other boy explained to Tim that the principal had said, we want to impress the Americans, and you're not very impressive. And so Tim Tebow looked Sherwin in the eyes and his friends and he says, you are impressive to me and I'm an American and you're more impressive to my Jesus who looks at the inside of a heart rather than the outside of a man. Hallelujah. And Sherwin said to Tim Tebow, would you carry me? And Tim, man, he's built. My word. This guy, I couldn't believe it. Like, I'm standing next to him, chubby bunny, and, <laughs> and he picked up Sherwin, and he carried him into town, long distance, and as he got close to the crowd, he said the oddest thing happened. He said, as I took a step close to the crowd, they took a step away from me. He took another step to the crowd, they took a step away. He thought it was a fluke until he took a third step and a fourth and a fifth, and the crowd just pushed away. The same crowd who Tim had just witnessed to and said, Jesus loves you, and he forgives you, and he cares for you, and he goes after you. He lavishes his love among you. And he said, I realized that they were moving away from Sherman because they believed that he was cursed by God. And so Tim Tebow is not afraid to make a point for Jesus. And so he just stepped in close until they had to choose to reject him and his Jesus or accept. And one of the elders came and put his hand on Sherman. And then another elder. And then another elder. And when a few leaders decided to, it became popular and the whole town did it. And Sherwin felt welcomed for the very first time. And he felt the love of community for the very first time. And Tim Tebow took Sherwin and then got him alone, took him over by the one Jeep they had in the town and laid him down there and he said, now, would you like to accept my Jesus who is impressed with you? And Sherwin said, absolutely. And he said, Tim, someday I'm going to run with you in heaven. And Tim Tebow said, something happened in my heart.
said, I love sports. And Tim Tebow said, at that moment, I decided that I would give my life before and after sports to support those who are held away in darkness that don't know Jesus and who believe that they live a cursed life that's not acceptable to the community. Tim said that when he was about to be born, they told his mom that she needed to get rid of that pregnancy because it was a tumor. He said, my first nickname in the family was Tim Tumor. After that, he said, they found out that the placenta was detached the whole pregnancy and he was born malnutrition, with malnutrition problems. He said, I made up for it rather rapidly. Tim Tebow said, maybe it's the fact that I, born, I was born fighting to be accepted and not rejected and not thrown away. Maybe that was the reason that God had planted the thing that got to me in my heart as my way to do my parking lot barbecue. But he said, I decided that I would make my life about taking care of those kind of people who need a touch, need to know they're accepted, need to be carried to others, to be interfacing with community. And as Tim talked about it, he said, to date, 128 kids have been adopted out of orphanages. 3,500 kids have received orthopedic surgery. 4,500 kids have come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. Amen. When it comes to prom night, there's hundreds and hundreds of churches and schools around the world. And we bring in a limousine and we bring in hockey players and football players and soccer players. And when the limo comes up, we roll a red carpet out and the cameras flash and, and every handicapped child, every single one is crowned queen and king for the evening. And we dance the night away. And then we create on-ramps with another program for churches to love those who've been rejected in their society. And I ask myself the question, what would have happened if the one boy in the grass hut hadn't reached out his hand to Tim Tebow? What would have happened if Tim Tebow hadn't gone after the three? What would have happened if Tim Tebow had said, you know what, this isn't quite as good on my reputation? What would have happened if Tim Tebow had said, one life won't make a difference? What would have happened if Tim Tebow hadn't have carried Sherwin? What would have happened if when we got to the shores of eternity, we looked at Jesus and he said, where are they? Where are they? I prompted you. I placed them in the water cooler beside you. I gave you relationship at the same Albertsons or Safeco or what, what, no, whatever store, right? I don't want to pick on. What would have happened? What if you would have shared my name? What if you would have taken a risk? I was already there waiting to change their lives because Jesus changes lives. Church, are you in? Church, are you in? Not just for a series, not just for a season, but for a way of life to become an invitational church that made a cultural shift back in the fall of 2019 that changed the church and changed our hearts and changed the culture and changed the city and changed the world. And when we get to heaven, we find out you invited, you took a risk, you made a claim that Jesus is amazing and it changed everything in the world for them. 
I believe we're ready, don't you?